everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by Kids Pastor Emily Nephis. Good morning. I really wish that my wife Allison and I could be with you this morning. We are in quarantine because of a high-risk exposure we had to COVID-19 this past week. We want to be with you because we know that there's a lot of emotion for everybody who's viewing this. There's fear and there's anxiety, but today especially just a sense of profound grief because we've lost a friend. Ken George died very suddenly on Friday with COVID-19. And if you knew Ken, the stories that you have are very vivid, I'm sure, because he had such a big personality. Uh, They, I imagine, usually involved food or corny church jokes. Uh, And if you didn't know Ken, you'll notice that he's not with us anymore because of the joyful noise he made on Sunday mornings. The church has always leaned on rhythms throughout the year. This has been true through pandemic and war and pain and grief. And the two most notable rhythms are around resurrection uh, in Easter with Jesus' victory over death and Christmas. Christmas being the time where God chooses to come and be with us to enter into our pain and our suffering that is so real in our world. And so I think it's as important as ever to lean into those rhythms. And uh, today in particular, as we continue with the theme of Advent, we'll be talking about love. And in your grief, I imagine many of you are experiencing anger and shock and numbness, and sadness, of course. But the love of God uh, actually moves towards you when you are experiencing these kinds of emotions. And so, as the psalmists say, God is close to the brokenhearted. And in your time of just great suffering, I encourage you to move toward Jesus. Uh, And I want to talk to the George family right now. May God let his love be experienced deeply in your hearts as you navigate this incredibly tragic event in your life. I love you guys. I want to say Merry Christmas, even though the circumstances are not merry. But we can find hope in the person and in the presence of Jesus today. And so in the spirit of love, even in the midst of loss, in the spirit of love, even in the midst of pain, we celebrate Advent and we remember that God is love. To do that this morning, we're gonna invite the Coldsmith family up to light our candle, and to remind us that God's love never, ever fails.
Um, we are the Coldsmiths. I'm Sarah. This is my husband, Nathan, and our oldest son, Ethan and Mason. And we are overjoyed to be here today. Um, even though this has been a very, very hard year um, for us, for all of us, um, but God is good. He will always remain. Today we're going to light a candle as a way to prepare our hearts for Christmas. It is symbolic of light's victory over darkness because Jesus comes into the world. In the Bible, holy means sacred, set apart, or distinct. The love that Jesus offers us is holy because it is different than the world's love. God's kind of love is described in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection are all expressions of God's love. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the Word of God and shows us that he desires to be with us when it says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Today we light the fourth candle and remind us God's love during Christmas. Take a deep breath and invite God's spirit to fill you. Now ask him to flood your heart and mind with his love. God's love never, ever fails. This Christmas season, I can imagine that a lot of us are feeling a sense of pain or loss or grief or change, whatever that might be. And in the midst of whatever it is that you're feeling, I want you to know that God's love never, ever fails. He sent us his son, Jesus, with the expectation that his love would never, ever fail. And it won't. It never, ever fails. So this morning, as we focus in on the birth of Jesus, let's remember that God's love never, ever fails. 
There's a great story, many stories, of how God's love never fails. But there's one I want to draw us into this morning. It's not your typical Christmas story, but it's a great illustration of God's deep love and how it never fails. It's a story about the sister who had an expectation that she would be loved, and she wasn't. It's a story of how she deals with this, that no one loves her. And she comes to find that the only place she really can expect love to never fail is in God. So let's look at her story, and as we read through it, ask the Holy Spirit to be speaking to you, to be talking into your heart and into your mind and showing you what he wants you to see, to hear, and to feel from this passage. So before we read it, I want to just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to inspire his word for us this morning. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you fill this place? Would you fill the homes of the people who are watching this live stream, fill their homes, God. Fill this place and fill our hearts. Jesus, would you bring your comfort to those of us who miss our brother? Would you bring your peace to those of us who are just so tired and weary of COVID? Would you bring love and grace to those of us who are struggling with relationships right now? Would you bring joy to those of us who have our heads bowed low in despair? God, would you heal what's broken in our lives? Would you take whatever expectations we have that aren't from you, God, And would you fill us with grace for one another, forgiveness and love? Holy Spirit, would you come and inspire your word? Help us to hear what you want us to hear. I pray that you would take over, God, that I would just be changing your pocket and that you would say whatever it is you want this morning. Bring love, God. Bring peace. We trust you and we love you and we just ask for you to come. More of you, Holy Spirit. Amen. We are going to be looking this morning in the book of Genesis. And if you'd like to read with me, we're in Genesis chapter 29. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can use whichever version you like. But we'll be reading Genesis chapter 9, 29, verses 16 through 31. As we read, I will stop some and expound a little bit, explain a little bit. So just bear with me. I won't read it through um, completely. But we're looking at verse 16 right now. So let's set the stage for the story of the sister who has some unmet expectations. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. Leah's name actually means cow. I don't know how you would feel, but I would not feel great being named cow. Um, But that's what her name refers to. And the name of the younger sister 
was Rachel. And Rachel's name means sheep, which I wouldn't want to be named sheep either. Um, but she was a shepherdess, so the name was appropriate for Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. This word weak can be translated different ways. From the Hebrew, this was written in Hebrew, from the Hebrew you can translate it weak. You could also translate it tender or soft. So we're not completely sure what they want to say here about Leah's eyes, but you'll see the contrast in just a minute anyway. But Rachel, here's the contrast, Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So what they're saying here is Rachel's beautiful, but Leah's not. Whatever Leah's appearance was, it wasn't described as beautiful. So you have this older sister, not beautiful, compared to the younger sister who was. Jacob loved Rachel. So here we have Jacob, and he comes to work for Laban, who is a relative. And Laban says, hey, I'll give you one of my daughters or in marriage. And Jacob loved Rachel. And so he chooses Rachel. I want her. She's beautiful. Now, can you imagine how Leah would have felt? In this time, in the ancient times, the eldest daughter got married first. That's just the way it was. This idea that Jacob would choose the younger was a little bit absurd. He should have picked Leah, but he didn't. So I imagine, if I was in Leah's shoes, that I would have felt hurt. That Jacob looks at me, or looks at Leah, looks at Rachel and says, I want the pretty one, right? Jacob loved Rachel. We're going to continue on. We're in verse 18. And he said, Laban, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. So stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And so we see Jacob pining away for Rachel. And all the while, Leah is there knowing full well it should have been her. She had the expectation, Jacob should have chosen me. He should have loved me. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Now you might be thinking, what? Like, how did this even happen? But in those times, the way marriage worked, the fact that they had a feast meant that there was wine. So Jacob probably had one too many, right? So he's not likely in his right mind. And then there's no electricity. So it's night, it's dark. They go into the tent. And in that time, 
women wore veils, complete veils. You could see their eyes and their cheeks, but everything else was covered. So Jacob doesn't even know if it's Rachel or if it isn't. So he wakes up in the morning and finds that it's Leah and he loses it, right? Now, if you were Leah and you wake up in the morning and your husband sees you and reacts like that, can you imagine the hurt and the pain, right? Ouch. Leah expects to be loved. She deserves to be loved, but she's not. She's not loved. And oh, how that must have hurt. Verse 26, Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, Leah, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her room, but Rachel was barren. Focus in with me on this word, hated, it is the Hebrew word sana, and it really has a deep meaning to it. Aversion, that's a strong word. Detest, abhor, hostility. This word hated is a word that means the object that is hated, which is Leah, has a deep separation from the one who hates her. Now, it doesn't actually say who hates her, but there are only a few players in this story. Jacob, Laban, it's probably not her father. I'm sure her father loves her. Jacob, Laban, and Rachel. And as you continue on reading, and we'll continue a little bit, um, you realize that Rachel does have some pretty severe jealousy going on with Leah. So moving forward in the story, we find out, as it says, Rachel isn't able to have children, but Leah has lots. Leah ends up having seven children, six boys, which is fantastic in that culture, and one daughter, and Rachel has none until later on, finally, she ends up having two sons. But Rachel is very jealous of Leah, that Leah can have children and she cannot. And so Rachel's jealous, and that comes out in hatred towards Leah. And Jacob is bitter and upset that he was given Leah when he wanted Rachel. And so there's likely hatred between them as well. So there's the separation between her and the two people in her life that should have loved her most, right? Leah would have expected to be loved by her husband and loved by her sister, and she received none of that love from them. And so what happens with Leah... You can jump with me if you like, but I'm just going to skip ahead and read a few verses with you to see the rest of Leah's story and to see how does she work this out in her, right? How does she work out this lack of love? So we see in verse 32, Leah becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son, 
She names him Reuben, and here's what she says. The Lord has noticed my misery, and now my husband will love me. So Leah does acknowledge God here. She acknowledges that God sees her. And we know that. We know that it said when God saw her. So God is looking at her. He sees her. He knows her plight. He loves Leah without condition. She knows that. So she's acknowledging God sees my misery, but she's still seeking human love, right? She's still saying, now my husband will love me. We're all like this, aren't we? We want people's approval. We want people to love us. And most of us have this expectation that the people in our lives who are supposed to love us will love us perfectly, right? I have this idea in my head. When I married Frank, it was going to be perfect. We would never fight. And he would always love me. And he would rub my feet and bring me flowers and cook dinner for me and sing to me and, you know, all these wonderful things. And love was going to be perfect. And yeah, that lasted not at all, right? Love is not perfect. Frank is not perfect. And his love for me isn't perfect. I might expect perfect love from him, but he can't fulfill it. None of us can, right? None of us can. You may expect perfect love from your parents, but they can't do that because they're broken people too. You might expect perfect love from siblings or from friends, from classmates, but no one can give you that perfect love because we're all broken. Jacob was broken. Rachel was broken. They couldn't meet her expectation, but still she yearns for this, right? Still she is saying, now my husband will love me, but it doesn't happen. He doesn't love her. He never does. Down to verse 34, she has another son. This is also after Simeon. So she's had Reuben, she's had Simeon, and now she has Levi. She has Levi, and now she says, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me, but does he? No. No, it doesn't matter how many sons she has. He won't love her, but yet she will continue to desire that perfect love from a person. Finally, she has another son, Judah, and here we see a shift in her thoughts. She named him Judah, verse 35, for she said, now I will praise the Lord and nothing else about Jacob loving her. She finally comes to this place of peace. Why? Because she realizes the only thing The only true love is God. The only true love, we light this candle to remember Jesus' love. It's the only true, perfect love. Jacob will never fulfill her. Never. She finally realizes, now I'll praise the Lord. Because that's where I find my source of true love. That's where I find my joy, my hope, my peace, my comfort. My sense of self-worth comes from God now. And she lets go and doesn't say anything there about Jacob loving her. 
Now, because we're broken people and Leo is broken, if you keep on reading, she does fall back. She does again say, now my husband will love me. And she falls back into that pattern. And then we see her, but I will praise the Lord. So she has this struggle. We all have this struggle where we know in our minds that God is love and that he can fulfill us, but we still yearn for people's love to fill us and fix us, but they can't. And so we focus today on God's love and the fact that it never, never fails. God never gives up on Leah. He sticks with her through everything. And he does this really incredible thing. I find it fascinating. I'm going to read it to you from the children's Bible. So um, if you do happen to be new with us, I'm the pastor of Vineyard Kids, and I love kids. And this kids' Bible is fantastic. It's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. It has actually brought me to tears as an adult. Um, And the story in here about Leah and Rachel is so good. And I just want to read you the last page and bring out the promise and the hope that God gives to Leah in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her grief and her suffering. No one loves me, Leah said. I'm too ugly. But God didn't think she was ugly. And when he saw that Leah was not loved, and that no one wanted her, God chose her to love her specially, to give her a very important job. One day, God was going to rescue the whole world through Leah's family, not Rachel. Through Leah, God would rescue the whole world. Now, when Leah knew, when she finally knew deep in her heart that God loved her, suddenly it didn't matter anymore whether her husband loved her the best or if she was the prettiest. Someone had chosen her, God. Someone did love her with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Let me repeat that because it's so good. Someone did love her. Someone does love you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So when Leah had a baby boy, she called him Judah, which means this time, I will praise the Lord. And that's just what she did. And you'll never guess what job God gave Leah. You see, when God looked at Leah, he saw a princess. And sure enough, that's exactly what she became. One of Leah's children's children's children would be a prince, the prince of heaven, God's son, Jesus. This prince Jesus would love God's people. They wouldn't need to be beautiful for him to love them. They wouldn't need to be special for him to love them. They wouldn't need to have all the approval of every person or all the love of their husband or wife or all the love of their friends or family or siblings. 
Jesus would love them with all of his heart just because they are his children. And they would be beautiful just because he loved them just like Leah. As we enter this Christmas season, let's remember that God's love never fails. So whatever it is you're going through, if it's grief, loss, change, frustration, anger, joy, happiness, whatever you're going through, remember that God's love never fails. And if some of you are here today and you've got these if-onlys in your mind, you know how those if-onlys get us wrapped up? Like, if only my husband would love me the way I need to be loved. If only my wife would be the wife that I need. If only my teacher would approve of me. If only my brother or sister would love me. If only my friends could be there when I need them. If those if-onlys start to creep in and you start to find yourself focusing on human love, my friends remember this. They are broken people. And they are in need of our grace and our love, the same as Jesus loves us. And so when we get stuck in those if-onlys, as Leah did, if only my husband would love me, at the end of the day, she had to come to realize that it is only God's love that never fails and that she must have grace on Jacob and Rachel the same way Jesus had grace on her. God's love never fails. It never fails. When I think about Leah and her story, when I think about my own expectations, it makes me think of a key. I know that sounds weird, but I brought my keys. Now, something crazy happened with my keys. Somebody found them on Route 401 on the ground. They had been run over by a car. I have no idea how my keys got on Route 401, but I got a call from the police saying, are you Emily Nephis? We have your keys. I didn't even know they were missing because, I don't know, it was probably quarantine time. I was probably stuck in the house for two weeks, right? And um, I was like, what? You have my keys? Um, and so I had to go to the police station. It was mortifying. <laughs> um, and I couldn't even say, like, oh, yeah, uh, they, I don't know. I don't know how they got on 401. But they got run over. So some of my, they're all bent up. And one of my keys is, like, totally destroyed. Um, and when I got them back, I realized, like, there's a bunch of keys on here. And I don't know where they, like, what they unlock. And so I, like, take this key because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's my house key, right? And I stick it in my door of my house, and it fits, but it won't unlock it. And so I'm like, oh, well, I guess this is not my house key. So I try it in my in-law's door, and it's not their house key either. I try it in a bunch of doors at the church, because I have church keys, and it doesn't work anywhere here. Um, and as I'm going to all these doors, I'm getting frustrated. Like, why won't this key unlock anything? And it makes me think of Leah. And she kept trying to put her key 
into this door that she couldn't unlock. She wanted human love and approval, and she kept sticking the key in thinking like, oh, if I have another boy, right, he'll love me. But it never worked. It never unlocked the door because she was using the wrong key in the wrong door. Same as I do when I try to earn people's approval, when I try to think that Frank can fill every need inside of me. It's like sticking a key in a door that it doesn't unlock. And so what I want us to focus on as we conclude today is the fact that Jesus is love, absolute unfailing love. He's the key. He's the door. When we finally realize the key goes in the door of Jesus and we unlock the door and we let Jesus in, that is when we find true love that never, ever fails us. So what I want us to do as we end, I'm going to call up Tyler. We're going to enter a time of worship, but as he's coming up, I would like us to spend some time praying So I want you to close your eyes, and I just want to lead you through a prayer, and you can just think, take deep breaths. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you speak to our hearts about this truth? Jesus, that you came to earth as a baby. You were born to bring love that never fails. Imagine right now, that you are in front of a door and you are holding a key and you have tried for so long to open a variety of doors. You have tried to earn the love of people. You've tried to earn their approval. You've tried to find love in so many things. The gym, your job, your body image, your status, money, power. You've tried so many doors to find happiness, to find joy, to find love, and none of them have worked because that is not the right door, and that is not where that key belongs. And so you're holding a key, and maybe you're crying. Maybe you're weary and frustrated, sad, grieving, You're holding this key and wondering if you will ever get it, if you will ever understand unfailing love. And so with nothing else left to do, you see a door in front of you and there's this bright light shining through the door and you know there's something good behind that door. And so you stick the key in and you turn it and it finally works. And as you open the door, you see a bright, beautiful light. It's warm. It brings you comfort and peace. You see a hand reach out to grab yours. And you know that it's Jesus. You start to see his face. He enters and he looks at you with absolute, total unfailing, never stopping, never giving up love. And he says to you, my child, there is nothing you need to do. 
My child, there is nothing you need to say. Everything you've done wrong, I took care of that. And I forgive you. My child, there's nothing that can save you but me. There's nothing that can fill you but me. And I love you just because you're you. No matter what you do, no matter your status, no matter what you look like or what you say, no matter how many times you fall or fail or mess up, I love you just because you're you and I made you and I love you so much. And your key, it falls to the ground. It crashes to the floor and you know now you're safe and that you don't ever need another key for any other door. You don't ever need any other source of love but this, Jesus. And you take a deep breath and you let the tears fall if they still need to fall. And you let the pain remain because he understands that's what we need is to feel grief, that even grief is loving. And he lets you cry and you continue to cry. And he grabs you and hugs you and holds you and he catches every tear, every ounce of pain and loss and grief. Maybe he kisses you on the forehead or maybe he whispers words of truth to you because you're so full of lies and he wants those lies to go away and he wants to fill you with truth that you are loved, that you are accepted, that you are good enough, that you are worthy of love. So come Holy Spirit, sweet Jesus, would you heal what's broken today? I just feel like you want to heal something broken. It's time for you to fix something that's broken, Jesus. So would you do that? Would you heal it? Would you hold our hearts in your hand? And would you show us the kind of never stopping love that you showed Leah? Because that's what you do. And that's why you came. You came to be our hope, our joy, our peace, and our love. And may we remember that this Christmas season, this Advent season, Jesus, help us remember that your love never, ever fails. As we worship you this morning, Jesus, I pray that we would experience you, feel you, sense you. So let us praise you the way Leah praised you, Jesus. Let us bring before you our grief and our sorrow, our weariness, our joy, our happiness, whatever it is we have, let's bring it to you this morning. Let us worship you, God. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.
see you next time.